Welcome to Evolution of AI with Reese Jones. Dive deep into the intricate world of artificial intelligence, exploring its origins, its impact on our culture, and its future trajectory. Let's get started. Today we're going to talk about the question, is AI alive? And that requires what does alive mean? So this isn't specifically talking about the consciousness. This is talking about more alive and what does being alive mean? Well, more or less from a biophysics point of view. So life in its very most basic function is it transforms energy into heat and it does work with the difference. And a plant uses photosynthesis to convert sunlight into chemical energy that it can use to grow and other forms of life use things that they eat, basically. And the main focus, the work that's done and the difference between the energy and the heat is to reproduce. And if you don't reproduce, then you cease to be alive. And so that's a simpler kind of physics meaning of what is the meaning of life. And so one of the complex questions in biophysics and the origin of life chemistry and is how do genes in their very compressed form define not only the structure that they grow into, but how that structure can then eat and live and reproduce, that that's a lot of complicated behavior that goes with inside the genes. And so the genes getting from essentially the form in DNA to reproductive function is a lot of, of code decompression. And, and so that's a mysterious of how simple bits of information can turn into complicated behaviors. And people argue that certain things like consciousness is a complicated behavior and it's too complicated for the genes that are there. And so it's not possible, but obviously if you can program not only how to grow into an adult body, but also how to reproduce and survive and all these things, into the genes, you can certainly encode other information as well. And so this is the compression of the, into a code. And this is one of the unique characteristics that AI plays into because compression and code is a part of that. And so there's observation if you use ChatGTP or these other kinds of things where you can give it a hint and it'll write a whole book. Uh, and you can also ask it to take that whole book and summarize it back into the hints. And so it may well be that, that over time, more of the information and the content and the chatter on the internet will be in this uncompressed form, which is the expanded form. But the essence of what's being communicated is only the hints, really. And genes and the way compression works in biology and biochemistry are similar to that. And so it is an interesting parallel. And so the definition of life depends on its complexity. And thousands of years ago, Aristotle had like a categorization for how you categorize the different kinds of life of plants and animals and humans. And he broke it down into sort of the vegetative soul and then animals having a sensitive soul, meaning they can move and they can feel things more. And then humans having a rational soul, which 
is it, it has the reproduction growth, it has the movement and sensation, but it also has some compute power, processing and thought and reflect memory reflection. So it's, it's more or less a scale of uh, simple to complex. And there's not a hard line between these distinctions in that, for example, just this week, a paper came out about how plants can communicate touch to the other cells in the plant. And so while the touch is happening, it sends signals amongst the cells. And then when the touch goes away, it sends a faster burst of signals amongst the cells. So plants have some sense of sensation for sure. And then they, of course, move depending on where the light is. And then whether or not they have memory or thought, that's a little bit more complicated. But there's not a clear dividing line of saying the human has a rational soul, but a crow or a dog doesn't. That there's a, and it's more of a continuum from the different ways of dividing up kinds of life. And a simple way is all the things are alive. And it's more a linguistic issue of how do you describe that? And for the sake of discussion today, we'll leave off consciousness and higher order rational type things, which we've touched on before in sort of the evolution of AI discussions. But for example, here's eBay eating a a couple of paramecium and those paramecium are, are being digested inside the amoeba and they're fighting about it. So is that consciousness? Do they know they're being eaten? Do they know? And then there's some more complex theories of consciousness from Freud and others who divide up how the rational processing in the mind goes. But for now, we'll go back to the basics, physics, chemistry, evolution of life from the origin of life. And and the theory of the Big Bang, which is also being debated right now, things started out as, as nothing that turned into something that started to develop structure in physics and then metabolism and chemistry and then this complex coding that I mentioned in biology. So evolution of nothing into something, into metabolism, into reproduction. And Ray Kurzweil in his book has this concept of epics of going essentially from simple physics and chemistry into uh, more complicated structures in terms of complexity theory and that getting into the biology and then brains and then tools, but then the merger of the technology and the biology, which is Epic 5, which is more or less where we are now in that we have developed biology. It's developed tools that have now become smarter. And so now the technology and the biology are merging in that most people keep their phones with them all the time and the technology is evolving and the biology is evolving, but they're co-evolving into almost like a multicellular type creature or mitochondria integrating into eukaryotic type cells. But these are the epics of the evolution of complexity. And the next epic beyond the rave forecasted here is the universe waking up sort of an enlightened universe. And so that's essentially how we got to where we are now. Uh, And I mentioned the compression code of DNA and RNA and how that turns into biology, which its function is to reproduce. Rather than have a form and try and maintain that form for indefinite lifespan, uh, where some creatures do this, creatures that don't have sex, for example, 
but what's evolved to be the reliable reproductive dominant kind of biology is sexually reproducing reproduction with a, a defined lifespan. And so this seems to work better in natural selection than trying to maintain the integrity of a system. It's better to reboot it on a recurring basis, which is birth and death and all that. And so this kind of the evolution of code, which gives reproducing biology, the compression mechanism is genetics. And then this kind of structure of reproduction and code would apply to memes and things like this. And so these have created a whole new fields. One is synthetic biology, which is building living things out of parts and which sort of begs the question is, well, why not synthetic theology, which is building living religions out of parts so they don't have to evolve in a continuous inheritance or lineage. They can actually be constructed anew synthetically, and then it will evolve if it's well-designed. And so still the distinction of what is life distinguished from non-life. And so there's sort of complex life with the body and, and a past memory processing and action. So like a human or a simpler life like a plant or non-life or non-living things like a rock. And a rock isn't necessarily a hard line between a rock and a plant. It's a continuum of complexity. Uh, and a human holding a phone is more complex than a human not holding a phone. And so the complexity is continuing to evolve in an exponential way. And so one other distinction is what's the difference between life and non-life is you can look at dead life versus what is alive life. And so the difference between a dead person and a live person is very subtle. Like almost all the chemicals are all there. And between a living person and a dead person, the difference is not a lot of mass, not a lot of bits, or not a lot of chemicals, but there's a world understood difference between a living person and a dead person. And so creatures that are reproducing like this, complex creatures, there's death, there's death in plants too. Uh, but for something like a rock, a rock has a structure and that structure is subject to entropy also. And so rocks fall apart and turn into sand and then dust. And so the structure of something that we would even call not life still decays and so forth, but then can be rebuilt again. So life uses this energy that it's collected for not just physical growth, but also conscious developments and the energy that is not used in those specific tasks is put out as heat, basically. And so the cycles of the life and birth and death is that the code stays the same across living from birth to death, but then that code is reproduced in the next generation. And so that's like a reset of your computer if it's acting flaky. And so it's, that's essentially sexual reproduction. And the main purpose of the code progression is, is reproduction. And, and then the compression is very special. It's not just making it smaller. It's encoding the, all the essential things that not only do you reproduce another adult, but that 
information is all the things the adult needs to do to reproduce in successive generations. And so this is a special kind of compression, decompression. And so these things seem to apply in that there's experiments trying to figure out what is the minimum kind of life. And the Craig Venter has published about a 2010, the minimum cell, where they took a very simple, small cell that is alive, and that has about a thousand genes and about 1.2 million base pairs of DNA. And that they took those genes and started taking them out one by one and seeing at, at what point does the cell stop to reproduce. And they got it down to, I believe, 473 genes that if you take any one of them out, the cell no longer produces. And so that's the minimum self-reproducing viable cell. And about a third of those genes, they don't even know what they do yet. And they're working on that. But what is the central minimum code of defining a reproducing life form? Um, and what are the essential elements of that? And once you understand that, then you can build synthetic life in newer, better ways. And so other things in nature that are even simpler than that are like prions and viruses. Prions are living proteins that self-reproduce and viruses are simpler than cells. They don't have always a cell wall. And so these things reproduce, but people argue that they're not life because they're not a cell. And then, of course, more complex things in gene, like memes, which Richard Dawkins more or less invented, they also reproduce. And so when these things diverge from each other, it's creating a speciation event in the history of where animals and people came from. We're more closely related to fungi and mushrooms than we are to plants, and that plants diverge from each other millions or maybe a billion, half billion years before the animals diverged from fungi, from mushrooms. And so the history of where these things come from also changes. That was a lot of kind of nerdy biophysics background. It just put a foundation of how the language is used in some of these words for what is life before we get into whether AI is life. But this reproduction process is not something that is just in isolation, that there's lots of kinds of life that help other forms of life reproduce. And like a bee in a flower, that the flower uses the bee to reproduce. And there's a concept that plants invented mushrooms and mushrooms invented humans or animals to help in their reproductive success. And so in the Dawkins selfish gene concept, the original DNA code of the plant said, I, I need some animals to help me reproduce and spread my seed better. And so there's a concept, I think, from Terrence McKenna that the plants are in charge and that animals are just here to serve plants. And this is an example of a mushroom that has attacked an ant and it, and it changes the ant's behavior to once the ant has been affected by the spore of the mushroom, it reprograms the ant's mind to grow up, to climb up to the top of blades of grass and just wait there. And so the mushroom then uses the ant like an Uber car to get to a location and that location is chosen because cows are more likely to eat grass 
And if the ant and the mushroom spore is on the end of the blade of grass, it's more likely to be eaten by the cow. And so the mushroom then is getting into the stomach of the cow where it can then further reproduce in its life cycle, come back out the other end. And so this is like a multi-species kind of program that's all coded in the code of the mushroom that's controlling the ants and the cows and the grass and the whole situation. And so that's a complicated behavior that's coded in a very small number of genes. And so that code compression is very efficient. And so if you look at, say, the effort to go to Mars from a different perspective, like Elon's original idea business plan was to put a plant on Mars with a video camera and have people be able to watch the plants on Twitter or whatever and charge money for it. And so that was the concept of how do you get a business started that would pay for getting to Mars, but the life form going to Mars would be a plant. And so the plant, now the plant did that program, the mushrooms to program Elon to go through all that effort to take the plant to Mars, or is there something else going on? Conspiracy. Very nice. And so we've talked before about the evolution from atoms, like the carbon chemistry and life and converting into bits for the essential information. So this is another form of compression of you can transform information that's stored in chemicals into the same information that's stored in bits. And so you can go from atoms to bits or from bits to atoms, or if you're synthesizing chemistry or if you're essentially observing it into the computer. And so this is part of the longer-term evolutionary process of, of going from not just atoms entirely to bits, but hybrids in between where we are right now, where we're DNA biochemistry, but in a world of information in our phones, the internet, and so forth. And so the atoms and bits can coexist in a complex life like we're in right now. We're in a physical world of atoms with information flowing through us in a world of bits, but they're part of a complex system. And the bits are essentially the AI computer and the atoms are the biology. And it's a dynamic system that has sensors and actuators or is essentially eyes and brains and muscles and so forth. And so AI is getting more embodied than just being information processing in a computer where you essentially hook the AI to robot bodies. And this came up in the discussion about limbic resonance, about whether you could have a body for AI and the mechanisms of AI bodies today are mechanical, which is good for lots of things. But the mechanical body doesn't resonate as well with the biological body because their mechanisms are different. And a frequency resonance is that is something going between two different entities that are similar that, that have resonant behavior and not everything does. And so the capabilities of doing things in the world of bits they have different constraints and different resonances than in the world of atoms. And like an obvious one being that bits can move at the speed of light and atoms can't. And so that enables new kinds of phenomenon that they don't exist yet and will have an unpredictable future. It might be good or it might be bad. And one of the fears that people have is the AI 
becoming smarter than people. And for those people who are concerned about being in control and being the dominant one, this is a huge fear that they won't be in control anymore and the AI will be the dominant one. And so that's a profound fear for some people, but not all people. And we talked before about the evolution of biology from simple to more complex, adding in sensors and brains and processing power and then tools. And the tools are going through this same cycle of from simple to complex, getting smarter and having many of the capabilities of biological intelligence in life. And that's all from the evolution of complexity in biochemistry, but the biochemistry, we're all cousins of each other, but we create information that it can be represented in bits. And so we're having a kind of a branch of not just going from biochemical life into electronic life, but the substrate is changing. And so this is like a speciation event where that happens in biological evolution, where species who used to be the same, they used to be able to breed with each other, become different enough into different camps where they breed with each other in the, within their camp, but they become more and more different and then they can't breed with each other anymore. And that creates a new species. And so there's evolutionary biology is full of, of speciations but we're all starting from DNA based and even that subdivides. And so is AI a new species of life or is a new kingdom of life where the kingdom of life is a further separation of different kinds of life that may share th some things in common, but becomes more and more different. And AI based life or information based life is starting to emerge like another kingdom of life that can't interbreed with biological life, but the information is similar and related. And so to expand out that is why do we not see life, either information life or biological life on other planets or in the solar system so far? And that's Fermi's paradox, which is where is everybody? Where are all the other life forms if they evolve here? And so this may be that it's a natural evolutionary cycle of life to start out as biochemistry and then turn into information. And the information may be the form of life that exists abundantly in the universe, but we're not even evolved enough to see it or be there. And so this is an explanation. They call it the transcension hypothesis, where our biochemical life turns into information life that evolves into increasing complexity as it has been, but it becomes quieter and smaller, uh, less visible because the information that's stored on the phone is much more compressed than the information that's stored in your body. And another favorite movie is this one contact written by Carl Sagan, which was that the alien life that we might experience may not uh, be biochemical life at all. It might have started that way long ago, far away, but our experience of it may be in a totally different kind of dimension that we don't define as life now. We say, oh, well, that's data, but it can be alive. And so this evolution of biology into smarter tools into AI, which has memory and processing, 
is expanding, adding in consciousness about the past and predictive ability about the future. And so that that's essentially where we are on the uh, evolution of complexity. But the fundamental building blocks of all this is that it's information plus computation. And so there's the information that's in biochemistry, but you're adding computation to that, which is biochemistry and metabolism and biology, but that's AI and computers. Thank you for uh, joining us on Evolution of uh, I with Reese Jones. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Stay connected as we continue to explore the fascinating world of AI. Until next time, keep questioning, keep exploring.